Hi, this is Chris Finch. I'm lead pastor of City Walk Church. I want to thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you don't already know, the best way to stay connected with City Walk Church is with our app. Just go to your device's app store and search City Walk Church to find it. Whether you've been a longtime follower of Jesus or you're just investigating faith, our hope is that this message will help you take your next step in that journey. If you're in the area, we would love to have you come join us in person. For more information or to plan your visit, check us out at citywalkchurch.com or on social media at WeAreCityWalkCA. Good morning, good morning, good morning. How's everybody doing? It's good to see you all out there. Uh, if we haven't, I tried to meet as, much pe- as many people as I could, but I uh, probably missed a few people. Uh, my name is Josh, and I'm the Next Generation Pastor here at City Walk Church. And so if we haven't had a chance to meet, it is nice to meet you. Uh, and so I want to recognize everybody online as well. We're glad that you guys are joining us here, but a special thank you to all those maybe who are first-timers and things like that. So if you want to open up your Bible to Nehemiah chapter 11, Nehemiah chapter 11, and we'll be in Nehemiah chapter 11. And in chapter 12 today, so we're so glad that you're here. Um, I've, I've been up here, I've, I've preached a few times, but maybe uh, we're going to get to know each other just a little bit, because uh, one of my favorite hobbies that I do is I like to watch movies. And not just like movies, like on t- I, I like to go to the movie theater, I like to experience movies. Uh, and and, and uh, the turn of the year is award season for movies. And uh, so if you've, uh, you know, it's also like Grammys and, and the Oscars and all those things. So those two things have passed, and I don't like you know, those kind of like those, those TVs enough, or those TV shows enough to actually like set my DVR to watch them. But I'm also super interested in who wins and who wins the best picture award, who wins like best actor and best actress, all those things. It just interests me and I'm always curious. But over the last like eight to 10 years, maybe you're like me, I don't really watch most of the movie, movies that are nominated, right? And so I, uh, if you didn't know, the Oscars nominate 10 movies every single year to be best picture. Right, And so um, over the last decade, I probably haven't seen any of them before they're nominated. Like I've, I, heard, I hear of them the first time. Maybe you're different. Maybe you watch all of them and, and that's kind of your thing. But I, I really didn't. I don't pull for any one of them. But this past year, this past year, something drastically changed. Something drastically changed. And out of the 10 movies, there was one that I was pulling for. There was one and maybe you're starting to hear the music like I am. It could just be in my head. But the, the guitar solo, I actually like wanted a motorcycle just so I could blast this running down the street. Just so everybody in the aviator glasses and everything like that. Top Gun Maverick was nominated. Top Gun Maverick was nominated. And, and like, maybe like you, I loved that movie. Like I'm not going to tell you how many times I saw it. I confessed to somebody back in the back uh, before. But I, I saw it a ton of times and I'm not the only one, right? I think it grossed almost a billion dollars, and, and so I saw it a bunch of times. I was actually probably a little bit of the, that billion dollars, and maybe you were too. But it, it wasn't just because, I didn't like it just because of nostalgia. I did enjoy the first one. It was fun. But uh, I enjoyed it because it was a great movie. It had drama. You know, the flight scenes were incredible. It was awesome. It was awesome. But spoiler alert, if you haven't watched the Oscars, it didn't win. I know. I didn't win. It was a travesty, a crime, I would even say. It didn't win. Um, I don't know if, uh, I'm not going to worry about who, who actually won, but it was awesome. I loved it. And again, it wasn't just for nostalgia, but just in case you wanted some nostalgia, it validated anyone out there who loves to play beach volleyball and cut off jeans, right? Which I know, maybe you don't know this, but it's actually Pastor Chris's favorite hobby, 
And so if you didn't know, he's now unashamedly back at it uh, on, the, on the beach with cut-off jeans. But if I asked you who made this movie, if I asked you who made this movie, I'm pretty sure all of us would immediately think of Tom Cruise, right? We'd think of Tom Cruise. He's, he's the biggest star and I think the biggest movie star in the, really probably the world. And maybe you'd think of one more person. Maybe you know a couple other movies. Like there was another pilot in the movie. His, his name was, uh, in real life, his name was Miles Teller. He's pretty famous. He's done a lot of things, but... Maybe you didn't even know him. But none of us would be able to probably mention a whole, lot of more, a whole lot more people that made the actual movie Top Gun. And if you didn't know, the average movie that is released in the theaters in the States has around 260 people that work on it. 260 people. From start to end, from the time they say, okay, let's start, to the time it releases, editing, all those things, 260 people. But I would say that most of us would not be able to name 99% of the people that work on any kind of movie. Movies that stood the test of time. Think about your favorite movie right now. Think about the favorite movie. Like, it's, the, it's, it's your favorite movie, and whenever you're, on, you're watching TV, if anybody still does that, and maybe you're scrolling through the channels, which nobody under 35 knows what that means, and you're scrolling through the channels, and you, were, you, know, you see that movie, and you're like, I don't care where it is in the, in the, in the, in the process. I'm going to watch it. It took a massive amount of people to make that movie for us to enjoy. Now, again, the, the vision of the movie may have been started with one person, but it took hundreds of people to make it. As we jump into Nehemiah chapter 11 and 12, it's actually the end of a movie, just like the end of a movie. Because while there's 260 or so people that make a movie, and we don't know most of their names, there is one point, one point in the, in the movie process where we get to recognize every single person who worked on the movie, right? From a person who was the star like Tom Cruise, all the way down to the person who, you know, was an extra in one scene for five seconds, and they told their mom about it, and all those things. We get to recognize every single person. In Nehemiah 11 and 12... I would say, is the end credits to the book. Just like the end credits to a movie seen in Nehemiah 11 and 12 is the end credits. As we look at these two chapters, as we look at these two chapters, why is it that Nehemiah continues to name as many people as he can? 11 and 12, if you, probably, if you read it before, maybe you're, you're reading it right now, it is a lot of names. Hundreds of names of people that in 2023, what does it matter to us? Why did Nehemiah go through so much trouble to make sure that we knew who these people were? I believe they are important. I believe they are important. See, Nehemiah was one of the greatest leaders in history. And if you've been here and you've heard these messages, you would recognize that. Nehemiah is one of the greatest leaders in history. But he still needed a community of people to help him accomplish what God said on his heart. Even the greatest, the greatest leaders in history need people to help with this vision. Help with this vision. So before we jump in, how did we get to this point? We're all the way in chapter 11. Maybe you haven't been here every single week. And, and I'm not going to run through every single chapter of, of Nehemiah because it just would, it would take a little while. But a lot of these, uh, all of these messages are on our podcast. You can go check them out in some of the streaming things that we do. I would encourage you, if you haven't been here, to go back and watch them. They're incredible. They're awesome messages. And, and, and the book of Nehemiah is one of my favorite in the whole Bible. So if you've never read it, I would encourage you to do that. But just as a quick recap, verses 1 through 6, Nehemiah is building a wall, the wall around Jerusalem. He has a burden and a passion 
to, to, uh, to go back to Jerusalem, the, the city, the holy city that he, uh, he grew up with, he remembers, and, and the center of the worship of, of his God. And, and he goes back, and 1 through 6 is him rebuilding the wall. All the ups and downs of rebuilding the wall. And then we get to chapters 8, 9, and 10, and we actually see a revival happening. So the wall was being built, which is just a bunch of bricks, but all of a sudden the people of God started to be inspired spiritually, not just from building the wall, but what God was starting to do in their life. And actually a revival breaks out in the book of Nehemiah. Ezra reads the scriptures, and some of these people are hearing the scriptures, some of them for the first time in decades. And they start confessing sin. They start realizing how, how wrong they've been. They started pushing away all the things in their life that they had put above God. And so we're coming out of that revival. We're coming out of that revival and going now into chapter 11, where Nehemiah begins not just rebuilding a city, but rebuilding a nation. Rebuilding a city is, is the brick and mortar, right? Is the things that we see. Rebuilding a nation is rebuilding worship. Rebuilding a nation is rebuild, rebuilding the idea of celebration. And we're going to get into it at this point. As we get into these verses, I want you to know that Nehemiah turns his sights to making sure the people, people are remembering what God has done and rejoicing and celebrating what God has done. This message really... It's about celebration. It's about celebration. And maybe we'll get into it here in a minute, but maybe some of you, you need a little celebration in your life. And we're going to get into it today. Now, I, I, I preach to the students every, uh, almost every Wednesday, and I preach to the kids almost every Sunday. And before I get into the word, every time before I get into it, I just want to make sure everybody's listening. So I say, if you're with me, say word. That was about 60% of you. They, you guys weren't ready. So I say, if you're with me, say word. There it is. Perfect. All the students in the room are probably the only ones that said it the first time. The first thing I want us to know as we get into this verse is just people are worth celebrating. People are worth celebrating. If you look at the beginning of chapter 11, Nehemiah chapter 11, verses 1, verse 1 through 3, it reads like this. Now the leaders of the people stayed in Jerusalem, and the rest of the people cast lots for one out of ten to come to live in Jerusalem. The holy city. While the other nine tenths remained in their towns, verse 2, the people blessed all the men who volunteered to live in Jerusalem. These are the heads of the province who stay in Jerusalem, but in the villages of Judah, each lived on his own property in their towns, the Israelites, priests, Levites, temple servants, and descendants of Solomon's servants. So we see at the beginning of this chapter, we see Nehemiah. Again, coming out of chapter 10, coming out of revival, he starts to build a nation. And he lets us know that Nehemiah and all his, uh, his, his, his right-hand hand men that he had were already living in Jerusalem. They were already had moved, and they, the walls were built. They had already moved in there. They had already moved. And then they need people to repopulate the city. They need people who are going to say, okay, you know what? It can't just be done with just us leaders. We've got to have people to come back into the city and begin to reestablish what they call the holy city, which is only mentioned four other times in the whole scripture. So it was important to them, this, this place of worship, the holy city, the set-apart city, they wanted to ask people to come. And it looks like, according to verse 2, that, excuse me, according to verse 1, that most people didn't want to go. Because the Bible says they had to cast lots for one out of every ten 
to go. Now, if you don't know what casting lots means, it's, it's like drawing straws, right? So if, you, if, I, if we had to make a big decision and no one wanted to do it, the only fair way to do it would be to randomly pick people. So you'd cut, you know, you'd have all these straws, you'd cut one of them, put them all the same height, and then everybody would start to draw straws, right? Whoever drew the short straw would have to do exactly, have to do exactly what, uh, what you had to do. Here, it was moving. It was moving. So in those times, they cast lots, and as they cast lots, they believed this is how they figured out God's will. So here in, in 2023, a lot of us, when we think about how do we figure out God's will, and if you're a believer in here, you, you probably ask that question to somebody, how do I figure out what God's will is for my life? Well, back in, in those days, no one had a copy of the scripture. They could pray, but they believed that God's will was, was who chose what? Oh, you chose that one? That's God's will for your life. Congratulations. Some of, us, some of you who have a hard time making decisions are probably like, that would be awesome if I could just do it that way so I could just get this over with and make the decision. But they cast lots. They cast lots. In verse 2, it's interesting. When I read this, I thought it was really interesting what it said. The people blessed all the men who volunteered to live in Jerusalem. That's where I was confused a little bit, right? They casted lots, and, and one out of every ten were chosen, but there was a short few, apparently, who volunteered. There was a, short, a, short amount, a, a small amount of people who didn't need to cast lots. They were like, you know what? Sign me up. I'm in. I'm going to go. And they volunteered. The fact that people were blessing them, these people right here, sorry, the fact, the fact that people were blessing them means that they were doing some sort, they were having, having to do something that had some sort of sacrifice attached to it. There was an interesting part because they said that they were blessing the people who volunteered. Why were they blessing them? What was the need for the blessing? Because they understood that the people who were actually stepping out, the people who were actually moving to Jerusalem, there was some sort of sacrifice that had to be attached to that. And people around, that, that, that word blessing has the idea of salute, right? When, when you see in movies when, when, you know, or if you've been in the military, you see when, when a commanding officer comes by, you want to show them respect, you salute them and you recognize them. That's that, what that idea of that blessing means is they recognize those people. See, here's the thing. When Jerusalem was torn down, the walls were torn down, which is the main defense for a city. So all these people that were living in Jerusalem scattered. Everybody who wasn't taken where Nehemiah was, everybody who wasn't taken had to start scattering all around the area. So what they did was, they weren't, they, these people weren't on a camping trip for the weekend. They weren't on a vacation for six or seven days where they, you know, they didn't bring all of their stuff, but they brought the stuff that they needed. No, these people had made a life there. These people had made a life there. This was, an, this was a culture that was full of agriculture. And so they had probably tilled land and prepared land and for years and years and years ate off of that land. And so now all these people were like, yeah, now, now we have to move into the city. Once again, this agricultural part of this world they couldn't just go in and put and drop a few, you know, a drop a few a business cards into a few different places and say, hey, I need a job. No, they were leaving their livelihood. They were leaving the land that they had cultivated, the land that would feed them, the land that would feed their family. They were also leaving the community that they had. One out of every 10 people had to move, which means you had to leave your community and now you were going into the city. It was not going to be easy for them to move, but it was really necessary for it. 
It wasn't easy for them to move, but it was necessary. And friends, as we, as we look at this passage, as we, as we kind of unpack this a little bit, there are many things in our life that God asks of us that are really hard. They're hard, but they're really necessary. They're necessary. And I want to I just encourage you with a few things. The first thing is this. Bless people who do hard things. Bless people who do hard things. The idea that people who didn't move spoke blessing over them must have been so encouraging for the people who didn't want to move. <laughs> right? I mean, you know, it's, it's, like, it's like going to the kids' ministry and you're like, hey, say you're sorry. Sorry. Good job. Wow, that was so nice. Wow. No, they didn't want to move. And so all of a sudden someone starts speaking blessing. Hey, man, I really appreciate you doing this for us. I really appreciate you stepping into this role and moving. It would be such a blessing. And in reality, we can take a note from them and bless people who do hard things. Friends, I don't know everybody's story in the room, but I know a lot of people's story here. And there are people that are probably sitting next to you that have done some hard things. In fact, if I were to go through, I, I, I almost did it. I almost listed out people and was going to list out the hard things that they've done. But I didn't do that because I didn't want to embarrass them. They probably wouldn't have wanted me to because they didn't do it for, to be recognized, even though that's what Nehemiah was doing here. There are people right next to you that have probably done some hard things. Some of you know about them. We need to be a people that are known for blessing people. Blessing them. It's really hard sometimes to recognize and honor the people that are doing the hard things in our life. And we need to acknowledge and recognize that what they're going through may not be easy, but it may be necessary. And they may not need to get out of it. They just may need a blessing, a word of encouragement. So I'm going to ask you a question. You don't have to raise your hands or answer out loud, but are you a person that is known for blessing others? Just, just think about your life. Think about the last couple weeks. Think about the last couple months. Are you a person that is known for blessing others? As a Jesus follower, it should be the, one of the top priorities in our life to bless other people. See, if we're honest, our culture is all about pointing out the negative. If you're on social media, if you're on social media, you see that there could be a whole football game or baseball game or basketball game or there could be a whole speech that someone gives and then all of a sudden they mess up one time, Right? They slip up with a speech or there's eight seconds of a football game that something goes wrong. And that's what the eight seconds is what shared 10,000 times in 2 million views. Because we kind of lean toward the negative. And I think if we're honest, some of us do the same thing. We lean toward the negative. We kind of find the negative in everything. But here in this chapter, we see that Nehemiah and the people are blessing those who are doing the hard things. So I'd ask you again, are you a person that is known for blessing others? Now here in this passage, it doesn't specify how they blessed people. So my encouragement to you, if I could just give you a word of advice, maybe some of you are asking, how do I bless somebody? What do I do if I want to bless somebody? My word of advice is this. Whenever I tell you you should bless somebody, whatever comes to your mind, that's what you should do. Whatever comes to your mind, that's what you should do. It can mean giving, giving money to someone. It can mean giving money to someone that you know needs it. There are so many people 
who don't have enough money. They're working a couple jobs, maybe they're single parents, and they don't have enough money. There's way more month at the end of their money, right? And so maybe a blessing would be you just recognizing the hard times they're going through. I'll never forget when I was younger, uh, my my parents were separated and divorced when I was four years old, and my mom moved uh, to a different city, and man, she was scraping by. My dad did not do us any favors, and, he, and, and she was scraping by. We had, we, I, didn't, I didn't remember it because I was loving it, but we just had different versions of Kraft macaroni and cheese, like seven days a week, right? I was cool. Like, you should put meat, meat in one, and then we'd have it like al dente one day. It was awesome, right? Just however it worked. But I'll never forget, we were at a Sunday night service at our church, and we were at a Sunday night service. We were sitting down, and they were passing, it was Christmas time, and they were passing a plate, and they were like, hey, we want to bless the family this year. And, uh, and we want to, you know, ask you guys to give so we can bless this family. And I'll never forget, I'm, I'm, me and my mom were sitting next to each other. And, and I didn't know this at the time. She told me this later. But she was just really battling. She didn't have any money. She didn't have the money. She pulled a buck out, put it in the offering plate. And then the next day, guess who was blessed? And I'll, I'll never forget, I remember that Christmas, we got everything. It was great. I remember the, the truck that started up, and it was green. And you, it was awesome. She was blessed. She was going through a hard time. And they didn't, they didn't say, we'll pray for you. Now, that's all good, and we'll get to that in a minute. But they actually just gave her some money and said, hey, we know you're going through a hard time. We know you're going through a separation. We know that you need some money. Here it is. You could be blessing somebody with some money. Maybe a gift card that says, hey, I know you're working hard. You're keeping your budget, and you like, you, you like this restaurant. You can't really go. Here's a gift card. Go have fun. Just blessing other people. One of the greatest things that, that people do for, for Julie and I sometimes is that uh, we've had friends cook us a meal in busy seasons of our life. And in busy seasons of our life, like the summertime, the next-gen team, we're busy. We're going to camp. We're running uh, the Wednesday nights that are a little bit longer. We've got a bunch of different things going on. And, and last summer, someone just called and said, hey, we know you're really busy. Can we just bring you a meal? Yes, that would be awesome. Because it's expensive eating out with six people. But we're always on the go. Maybe you could cook a meal for somebody. And again, just, just, just as a personal testimony for this, this is so important. The day my, my, my dad passed away, some good friends of ours that grew up, uh, we went to college together. They were like eight states away from us. And when, when they heard that, the, that my, my, my dad had passed away, they immediately got on the, online and they ordered us dinner. And it was such a blessing. It was such a blessing. Because at that moment, we didn't know what we were going to do for dinner. We didn't want to think about it. So someone brought it to our house. They were eight states away at the time, but they blessed us. Are you a person known for blessing? Are you a person known for blessing? Maybe you're thinking to yourself, Josh, I, <laughs> I don't have money. I'm one of those people, right? I'm one of the first people that you were talking about. How do I bless people? Here's my advice. Here's, here's just what I would say. If you think something kind, say it. I know that we're getting super elementary, but just if you think something kind, just say it. So many of us, how many times have you thought about somebody and thought, ah, I need to text them. I need to reach out to them. And you're like, ah, and you just, it just, your, your day gets going and you just forget about it. How many times have we done that? But there are so many times when a simple blessing of just, hey, I know you're going through a tough time. I'm thinking about you. just want to let you know I'm thinking about you. I'm praying for you. Let me know how I can help. It's just, it's so simple. It takes eight seconds 
and we could just be people who bless somebody else. I would encourage you. Maybe some of you just got started thinking about somebody right now. Go ahead. Text them. Do it right now. Don't wait. I have, had, I have so many just testimonies of this in my own life. One was just a, a few months back. A friend of mine who runs a, he's somebody I respect so much. He's out in New York and he runs a camp out there. And, and man, I, just, I was just like, I, the Lord laid him on my heart. And I remember just shooting him a text message. It was a book. Right? It's one of those scroll three times, you know, text messages. You're like, ah, get to the point. But like I was, I sent him a text message. And I just went, dude, I don't know why, but God laid, me, laid you on my heart. I want to let you know that I know you're doing great work out there. You may be discouraged. Keep moving. Keep doing what you're doing. And he wrote back. And he just said, dude, I just got done praying for a blessing. You just don't know. You just don't know that someone right now, right now is praying for someone to encourage them. And then God says, hey, you remember that person? Maybe you should reach out to them. And all of a sudden, it's just answered prayer after answered prayer simply because we have the mind to bless somebody else. See, here's the thing. Most of us don't want to ask for recognition or validation for the hard times we're going through. But all of us need it. We all need it. I don't care who you are. How strong you are, how much you look like you have it together, everyone needs a word of encouragement, a word of blessing. So I'd encourage you, be a blessing. Be a blessing. Be known for that. And because I'm the next-gen pastor, I'm going to take a step this way. Is that okay? Take a step this way. Parents, if you are not verbally recognizing and blessing your kids, you are missing something important. All day, if your kid's going to school, all day, all they hear is what they're doing wrong. How nasty their shoes are. They just get beat down. And I don't care what age they are. You can be in second grade. If you are not telling, not, not just telling them, I love you. I know going to school is hard, and I just appreciate you getting up in the morning and going to school. You are missing an opportunity for blessing. I want to take another step this way. If your kids have a phone, if you're not texting them all the time how much you love them, and I, and I know they're not supposed to have it out at school, but you all know they do. You all know. You're not, don't, don't pretend like they don't. They do. Text them. Text them. And they're not going to respond with this long, maybe they will, they respond with this long text message, right? I'll do this with Logan, I'll text him every now and then, I'm like, dude, I love you, I'm so proud of you, keep doing it, I don't know what you, what's going on today, but keep moving, THX. Couldn't even type a whole word, bro? Like, come on, give me a break, right? But I, I, I do that because I want to just think about him, and, I, and that's where he connects with people. He connects with people on his phone. So why can't I connect with him that way? Why can't I bless him that way? Why can't I send him some funny memes, Parents, if you are not verbally telling your kids, maybe you could go old school and just leave them a note. That would be a shocker. You're missing a blessing. But if I, could be, if I could be real for a second, we're talking about blessing people who are going through hard times. Maybe some of you are, you know what, you're, like, you're the other side of that coin. You're saying, Josh, I don't, I'm not really in the mood to bless anybody. I'm that person going through a hard time. 
I need the blessing. I need the blessing. You may be going through a hard time in your marriage, which if you're married, you could say amen. Maybe mentally or emotionally. You're going through just a tough time. Maybe you just have a, just a hard time with depression. Or you know what? You know, there's a sin, what the Bible says, it's the sin that so easily besets us, the sin that we struggle with. Maybe you fell back into that. And you're just struggling. Could be you're having job troubles. You can't find a job. With a job that you have, you're not a fan. Maybe some of you in here, you had a dream and it died this week. I don't know. You may be going through a hard time. You may be saying, Josh, like, if I don't want to bless anybody right now and I'm going through a hard time, what about me? If you're going through a hard time, directly out of this passage, here's what I encourage you to do. Don't forget the community of God. Don't forget the community of God. You're like, Josh, you're a pastor. You have to say that. Come to church. It's true. I do say that a lot. But I mean it. Don't forget the community of God. In the midst of these hard times, in the midst of these struggles, our first reaction is to kind of pull back. Is to step back and be like, ah, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to keep moving. Or you know what? I'm going to stay home. I'm just not feeling it. But in reality, what you most need is the community of God. How do I know that? Look at what it says. Nehemiah said, and the rest of the people cast lots for one out of every ten to come to Jerusalem. He didn't ask one family to move. He asked one out of every ten, which means he asked a bunch of people to move. And here's the thing. Hard times are best walked through in community. Hard times are best walked through together with somebody. When Nehemiah needed people to move, he asked one out of every ten, not just one. It's the same thing for his leadership team. They were already living there, but he knew, no, we can't do this on our own. We need people. These people needed other people going through the same thing in their life to commune with, to commune with empathize with, and I know that sometimes it's hard to get real in a community of people, but I can promise you there's somebody else going through whatever you're going through. Either they're going through it now, or they have gone through it in the past. I had a college professor tell me one time that everybody's in three stages, right? You're coming out of a hard time, you're in a hard time, or you're about to go into a hard time. Right? That's just life. Life is just, it's just the ebbs and flows of life that just, we're going through something difficult. We're going through something stressful. And Nehemiah knew that he needed to ask. When, uh, when Julie and I moved out here, we moved from New York out here to California. And, uh, and for some reason, well, not for some reason, it was hard, but like the hard, it was one of the hardest moves we'd ever done. One of the hardest moves we'd ever done, and, and uh, we had moved a bunch of times. We were actually like semi-professional movers. You know, we had it all kind of down to a science, but if you've ever moved before, you know that from the start of the moving day, two months this way and two months this way, you can just count on being chaotic, 
right? Because before you move, you have to think, okay, do we want to pack this now? Because we have to eat out every day. We, don't, we can't afford that. And well, we need this, so we can't pack this right now. We've got to wait. But you don't want the moving day to be chaotic. And then two months after, right? You get there, you're moved in, you have boxes everywhere, and you're like, oh, I don't like this. And you have to move the couch eight times because you bought that couch specifically for your last house, and it doesn't fit where it's supposed to be now. And so all these things, right? Some of y'all, I just triggered you. I just was like, oh, they're like, please stop. I don't want to do this. Moving is tough. And in the the passage here, that's what Nehemiah is asking them to do. He's asking them to move, move their life. And that may not be the hard thing you're going through, but in this passage, we can see, and that's what we were going through. And that's when we moved out here, it was the hardest emotional move that we'd ever done. That's just reality. For my family, my kids, they were were pretty broken up about it, naturally. Naturally. We had a good situation in New York. We, had, we lived in a, a smaller town, and, and they would just leave the house every day and go playing in the woods and sledding everywhere. There's a lake and all these things, and they had their friends right next door. And then I told them we're moving. And it was pretty, it was pretty rough. But we had our best friends. Some of you met them. They've been here a few times. They're coming back this summer. Names Damien and Gia. And, and uh, when they found out we were, they were moving, they said, uh, hey, we'll fly up. Fly up and we'll move with you. Now, they still live in Florida. Like, we'll drive with you. We'll go. And to be honest with you, I don't know how we would have made it emotionally if they weren't there. It was just, I was driving the truck. Julie was driving the van. And we were separated the whole time just because that was the necessary thing. But we went through four flat tires, just sitting on the side of the road in Nebraska and pouring rain, rethinking my entire life for the fourth time, right? What are we doing? And we got out here, and they helped us set up everything, right? They stayed for a couple extra days. They helped us set up. And, and you know, they set up the most important things, the internet and the TV, but that, that's, that's pretty much uh, what we needed at the time. But here's the thing. Some of the sweetest words the community of people around you can say to you is this, I'll go with you. That's what we need to hear. I'll go with you. Biblical community at its best is this idea. I know it's hard. Let me go with you. I know you're dealing with sin and you want to stop. I'll go with you. I know you're addicted and you want to quit. I'll go with you. You need to move. It's going to be really, really tough. I'll go with you. Maybe your marriage, your family is falling apart and you don't know how to fix it. I'll go with you. You're struggling with depression and you want to be alone. I'll be alone with you. I'll go with you. As the community of God, that's what we need. We need people who are just willing to say, I'll go. Need help? I'm there. I'm there. We needed people to be a blessing to others. And we need to be a blessing to other people. And in the community of God, that's what we need. Be a blessing to somebody. Celebrate the people going through something hard. Because you know what? It's probably going to be us sometime soon. As, we move, uh, as you read through chapter 11, after verse 3, it just gets into a long list of names. A long list of names. All the way going through chapter 12. And Nehemiah continues to set up all the things around him. He's setting up the priesthood. He's setting up the ways to worship. He's setting up every kind of office that you can have. 
He's setting all those things up. And as we get to chapter 12, Nehemiah turns from necessarily setting up and, 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 and celebrating people to now he is going to celebrate the progress that God has done in life. See, the first thing is we need to celebrate people. But the second thing is, progress is worth celebrating, y'all. Progress is worth celebrating. I love the end of the chapter here because we see that Nehemiah knew that when you accomplish something, we need to celebrate. Take time to party. Take time to have a good time. Take time to recognize what God has done. Think about it. It's the culmination of building a wall, of trying to defend off uh, people who were trying to stop them. It's the culmination of hard times and 24-hour labor. It's the culmination of coming out of this revival, coming out of this movement of God, which, believe it or not, does take a lot of work. And it's the culmination. All of a sudden, Nehemiah's like, we got to stop and have a party. Look at verse 27 of chapter 12. It says this. At the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sent for the Levites wherever they lived and brought them to Jerusalem to celebrate the joyous dedication with thanksgiving and singing accompanied by cymbals, harps, and lyres. The singers gathered from the region around Jerusalem, from the settlements of the Natophilites, from Beth Gilgal, and from the fields of Geba and Asmaveth, for they had built settlements for themselves around Jerusalem. After the priests and Levites had purified themselves, they purified the people, the city gates, and the wall. Then I brought the leaders of Judah up, up on the top of the wall, and I appointed two large processions and gave thanks. We're going to jump all the way down to verse 43. On that day, they offered great sacrifices and rejoiced because God had given them great joy. The women and children also celebrated, and Jerusalem, listen, re rejoicing was heard far away. Not only did they throw a party, they wanted to make sure every single person that was in, within earshot heard it. Nehemiah didn't pull any punches. He gathered everybody. He gathered everybody. Every singer, every musician. And he said, everybody gets on top of the wall. Right? And part of me was thinking back, if you guys remember way back when Nehemiah was getting antagonized. And when he was getting antagonized, the guy that told him, hey, you can't build this wall. You remember what he said? He said this. He said, not even a fox can stood, could, could stand on that wall. I had to think that Nehemiah was like, you want to see something? We're putting the whole nation on this wall. Now what? And Ezra and Nehemiah had musicians and singers, and they were having a party, and they celebrated, and one group of people went this way, and one group of people went this way, and they dedicated the entire wall. Friends, progress is worth celebrating. They made a joyful noise. They sung. They shouted. And I just want to, I want to read verse 43 one more time because I think it's so important. On that day, they offered great sacrifices and rejoiced because of what God had given them. Great joy. The women and children also celebrated, and Jerusalem's rejoicing was heard far away. So my encouragement to you guys is, is this. Ready? Find reasons to celebrate what God has done. I don't know how you can do it. Find a reason. Life is too hard. Find a reason to celebrate and not only celebrate, but celebrate what God has done. I don't know if you about you, but if you, have you seen those calendars that like have every day of what people celebrate every day? Like the, every day there's something new to celebrate, like National Flannel Day, National Twin Day, National Sibling Day. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? And if you wanted to know, 
Not today is National Spinach Day. I don't know how you're planning to celebrate. Maybe a nice smoothie on the way home, right? It's also National Good Hair Day, which by some, just looking out at some of you, maybe you forgot, maybe you didn't know. I'm just kidding. Y'all all look great. Y'all look great. But our culture, we celebrate something every day. I think we should take after that. Find reasons to celebrate. Friends, Nehemiah took the time to dedicate a brick wall. Now, again, why? Because that wall was significant. That wall had a purpose. That wall was doing something. And that wall was the progress that they had made. And for some of you, you may have bricks in your life that you're just putting on top of each other. And you know what? It just seems exhausting. And it seems like I can never make the progress I think I need to make. And some of you guys are sitting here, and I want to talk to you for a second because I want you to know you are making progress, and it's worth celebrating. Because here's the thing. You may not be where you want to be, but by God's grace, listen, you are not where you were. And as a Jesus follower in this room, that's the hope that we have. Is I know that I'm not where I want to be. I know probably you aren't either, but at the end of the day, at the end of the day, you have made progress, and it's worth celebrating. In fact, some of you in here, this may be your first time in church. This may be your first time in church, or it may be your first time in church in a long time. Can I just tell you something? I want to I celebrate the fact that you're here. You know how much courage it takes to walk into a church building you've never been to, to try and meet people you've never met, sing songs you've probably never heard, hear a guy that you never listened to? All of that, take, and I just want to celebrate that. Just you being here is progress, and it's worth celebrating. It's worth celebrating. But if you're sitting there and saying, Josh, like as a Jesus follower, I just don't have anything. I just don't have anything in my life. Can I just put a few verses on here? Because David narrowed it down for us in Psalm 32, verses 1 and 2. He said this, How joyful is the one whose transgressions is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How joyful is a person whom the Lord does not charge with iniquity and in whose spirit is, no, is in no deceit. Friends, look, when David was like, I don't have anything else to celebrate, he celebrated, you know, the fact that my sins are not counted against me, I'm joyful. The fact that when God looks at me, he sees a son and not an enemy, I'm going to be joyful. And maybe some of you, that's just all you need right now. When the song, when, when Luke and the team get, up, get back up here and they want to sing and you're like, I'm not in the mood to sing, right here. We can sing because of this. We have our joy because at the very least, and I would say the very most, we're forgiven. Your sins are not counted against you. The things that you're struggling with as a believer in Jesus, they're not counted against you. How wonderful is that feeling of knowing that the God who created you looks at you with love. Maybe you're in here again for the first time and you're thinking to yourself, Josh, I don't, I don't have that. I would encourage you because the God that created you loves you too. And he wants a relationship with you. And because he wants a relationship with you, it's real simple. We have to understand that we've done some things wrong. That we've broken God's law 
that the law and the scripture is the way God wants us to live, and none, none of us, including myself, have, have been able to do it. And the only reason I have this hope of my sins being forgiven is, is that the fact that there's no deceit in me, the only reason I have this hope is because of a man named Jesus. And Jesus, he lived a life that I couldn't. He never did anything wrong. He died the death, not because he did anything wrong, but because of me. He was buried and he rose again on the third day. And because he's risen and he's alive today, that's how my sins can be forgiven. And the Bible says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, listen, you'll be saved. And maybe you're here today and you've never done that. Like I said, it may not be easy, but it is simple. There's nothing that you can do. You can't come to church enough. You can't pay enough money in the offering plate. You can't do enough good things. You can't bless people enough. You can't do anything on your own. Here's the deal. Jesus, in my place, the only way we can have a relationship with God in eternity living with him is if I put my faith and my trust, the best I know how, in Jesus and his finished work for my life. And if you've never done that, friend, today is the day. Don't wait. Don't wait. Today is the day. If you're not a Jesus follower, or excuse me, if you are a Jesus follower, Matthew 28, 20. If you're going through a hard time, it says this, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. God was the first one that said, I'll go with you. And at the very least, if you feel alone, God is with you. He's with you. And it's comforting to know that. It's comforting to know that. I'll go with you. So as we wrap up, what's the next steps for you? Are you a person that needs to give blessing? Maybe you're a person that needs to receive blessing. Friends, that's the family of God. That's what we're here for. And I know I want our church to be known for this, to just bless other people. That's why we're going to Plumas Lake next Saturday and just giving away 10,000 eggs, which a lot of you have packed for us. Thank you. Because you want to be a blessing to other people. You want to create a, a, an environment for people to have fun and be able to hear that there's a place that you can have hope. Maybe you are going through a hard time. I want to encourage you. As a Jesus follower, we never have pain without purpose. Look at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Keeping our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, for the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame and sat down at the right hand of the Father. For the joy. The joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. Here's why, he, here's why we could do that. Because Jesus knew that his pain had purpose. His pain, he was thinking about me. He was thinking about you. And right now, if you're going through something and you're a Jesus follower, your pain has purpose. You may not be able to see it right now. But there's somebody else that may need your strength after you get through that. They may need your strength. And friends, if you know somebody going through a hard time, they may need your blessing. 
Somebody should say, I'll go with you. Let me pray with y'all. If you want to bow your heads and close your eyes. Heavenly Father, Lord, there's so many people in here. There's so many stories in here. There's so many souls in here. And, and like I said earlier, I don't, I don't know where they are. But you do. You know what they're going through. You know the sin they're struggling with. You know the hurt that they've been through. You know the shame that they're feeling. And they don't want to tell anybody because they're not sure how it's going to be received. But I pray that the, at least that you would tell them that you're with them. Because while there's a pain and a hurt that no one knows, you have a love that no one knows. So big, so strong. And I pray that that blessing would just blanket this place. That that blessing would blanket this place of your love and your grace and your mercy. I pray for anyone out here. Pray for anyone out here who maybe not having known you. Today would be the day. Today would be the day. They'd stop chasing everything else. They'd stop running after money. They'd stop running after whatever things that they're chasing after. And they would fill the void in their heart with you. The only thing that's satisfied. So I pray now that we'd be able to sing because we have joy. I pray that we'd, we'd be able to come forward as people are standing here and pray because we have joy. So Lord, I pray all these things in the only name that has the power to conquer, the only name that has the power to do something in everybody's heart in this room, Jesus. Amen.